everybody thanks for tuning in to the recovering fundamentalist podcast guys that song right there is the music from the church that we are now working at here in statesboro georgia connection church that is connection music and the cool thing is that song drops tomorrow wow everybody needs to make sure and get a copy of that Uh, talk about the name connection if they listen to that music they will definitely experience a connection with god through worship that's an incredible uh, song. I know the music's incredible. Everybody needs to download a copy. JC, they sound incredible. They're really good guys. I know that uh, Chase Buchanan and Ryan Callahan, uh, this past Sunday, we were able to sit down at church right after they sang that song and uh, just kind of do an interview just to hear the the story behind the song and to see uh, where it comes from and how it's birthed. And that's, that's one of the things that drew me to Connection Church. In fact, it was Connection Music, about 2.30 in the morning, they have a song called Faithful Right Now uh, that they wrote about two years ago, and it was playing on YouTube as I was up walking around and just praying and knowing God was moving us out of Ringgold, didn't know where, and that song Faithful Right Now from Connection Music was playing, and I just sat down and typed in Connection Music and found out it's part of Connection Church, and next thing you know, here we are 11 months later in Statesboro, Georgia, working at Connection Church. To download their music, you can find them on Instagram, you can find them on iTunes, on Spotify. You can go to connection.church and download the music tomorrow. Hey, we also want to thank our sponsors here at the RFP Free Life Soap. You can check them out today by going to the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab, use your promo code RFP and get 10%, no, 20% off of your order uh, when you do that today. We also want to thank Jay Radio for being a sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Guys, have you looked at our website in the last couple of days? Yes, I noticed that we've got some new merch. Yeah, I think the new merch is awesome, but why do you need new merch when you have the Brian Visor? Like that's all the merch anybody <laughs> ever needs. And by the way, the Brian Visor is traveling all around the world. Have you noticed that? Nahum O'Brien takes pictures in Norway with it all the time, so you've gone global. Yeah, and just for the record, nobody's taken a picture in any foreign country of the Nathan Snapback or the JC Trucker Cap or whatever else you guys are doing. It's the visor all the way, baby. It's because they don't look ridiculous in the trucker (laughs) hat and the snapback. So you're saying a cool guy like Nahum O'Brien looks ridiculous. Man, you got to take that back now because he's going to hear this. He makes the Brian Visor look cool. Boom. Okay, good redemption. So here's a t-shirt that Justin Knight is working on that I'm really excited about. It's got our faces, and he's going to cartoon those faces and the title. Somebody gave us this idea on Twitter, and the title of the shirt is, Forgive Me For What I Said When I Was In The IFB. That's going to be a top seller right there. I can't wait for that one. We got a brand new champion brand sweatshirt that's coming out, and I saw socks on there. We have socks. Do you realize you can now dress from head to toe almost in the recovering fundamentalist gear. And by the way, did you see the picture of the young lady who celebrated this past Sunday with our Hope family and she had on her recovering fundamentalist podcast hat? It was so cool to walk out in the lobby and see that. You mean she wasn't wearing a visor? 
No, it was actually the Nate trucker cap. So that's because she's just in the States. (laughs) Well, Brian, I'm going to buy you a Christmas present from the recovering fundamentalist merch store. We now have a fanny pack. You look like the kind of guy that would wear a fanny pack. I would wear one. Absolutely. I've never <laughs> worn a fanny pack in my life. I love it. Hey, get your merch today by going to the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the merch store. And we haven't said this in a few episodes, but folks are still doing it. We want to hear your story. Um, we have folks that are writing into us every week, and uh, we are still putting those stories out. And uh, you can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org and write your story. You can have two options. One, you can send it to just Nathan, Brian, and myself, and we'll read that. Or you can post it and let the RFP family uh, read your story. We also want to give a big thank you to our patrons of Patreon. These are the absolute most incredible folks who have given uh, resources to help keep us on the air. And uh, we thank all of our patrons of Patreon to get the episode an entire 24 hours earlier than when it is released at midnight on Tuesdays. Become a patron because they're getting it on Tuesday mornings. And uh, that's not 24 hours, but you're getting it earlier than midnight (laughs) on Tuesday. So we go to uh, recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the Patreon tab, and become a sponsor today. So I'm super excited tonight that we're going to go all the way back to Spain. I think that's cool. And by the way, Nathan, great job last week on the edition of the Spanish music. It just so set the tone. When I heard that, the first thought that crossed my mind is Nathan is so ridiculously cool. Even your (laughs) cool is cool, man. That's what I'm talking about. So I'm excited about tonight. Well, let's go ahead and get part two started. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. Ready? Let's go. Three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches, and you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy of put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, Brian, Nathan, and JC. Boys, we are heading to Vegas in just a few months. Man, that's amazing to even think about. It's going to be a meetup. We're going to get to meet people. We're going to get to record some live episodes. We've got all kinds of things planned, things that are going to make people laugh, things that are going to make people cry. It's going to be like watching Titanic and Nacho Libre all at the same time. (laughs) That's a great analogy. It doesn't get any better than that. So we are talking about the Idea Summit in Vegas, January 25th and 26th, and uh, we are going to be there. Josh Tice and the team has invited the RFP to come and be part of the Idea Summit. We're going to be doing a meetup. We've been talking about doing these, and here we are a year after we launched the podcast. We're doing a meetup for all of our West Coast friends and family and maybe our foes. It's going to be exciting. You can go today to the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Idea Summit at the top of the page, and when you get there, it'll take you to their website. You can enter the promo code at checkout RFP meetup and get 10% off of your ticket. We're going to be recording two episodes at the Idea Summit. One of them is just going to be me, Brian, and Nathan talking. The other one is going to be a time of Q&A. Carrie Newhoff is the keynote speaker. Guys, this is going to be an incredible time in Vegas. The RFP is coming to Las Vegas, Nevada. There's so many things to look forward to, but the thing I'm really looking forward to is meeting some of our patrons, some of our RFP fam that we've never got to meet before. We've talked over email, on Twitter, on Facebook. So looking forward to talking to people in person. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. And we want to see you there. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org today. Click on the Idea Summit link and go and reserve your tickets today. I'm looking forward to that. But today we have to finish part two of the interview with Mike and Jim Peters all the way from Sevilla, Spain. I kind of like it the way Brian said it. Brian, could you tell us where they're from in your own personal way? 
I think I said Snailville, Spain, or something <laughs> like that. Snailville, uh, Spain. I basically had them. Oh man! I basically had them on the Georgia side of Spain. I think. Absolutely, that was that was classic. Yeah, I think I actually said Selville, but you should be saying it correctly because you've actually been there. None of the rest of us. I mean, JC and I, we don't get invited cool places like Spain. I actually did invite you on that missions trip and you chose not to go <laughs> you guys are all three invited to come whenever you'd like okay just, just so it's official so everybody listening has proof you're invited deal well i'm looking forward to this second part of the interview and i had a guy that goes to church with me rob adkins that told me he said nathan the last part of the interview with Mike and Jim Peters, I heard more theology than I heard in my entire time in Bible college. He said that wow. was incredible. So Mike, thank you so much. And Jen, thank you so much for sharing your story. And we're looking forward to hearing the second half of it today. Yeah, that's awesome, guys. And uh, we're looking forward to sharing it. So Mike, let's pick up where we left off last week. Yeah, man, that sounds good. In relation to that previous statement about the gospel, you know, as deep and as far-reaching and as refreshing as it is, we had no concept of that, you know, as as we were in church, in Bible college, and even on deputation to go be missionary pastor, church planter in a foreign country. And so having having no understanding of that, it was just such welcome and and wonderful news because at the end of the day, I am still a human being in need of a Savior. Uh, yes, Jesus saved me, but I still need Jesus every day. And the, the thing is, is like we were talking about this last Sunday uh, in, in church, um, in Hebrews, if you don't mind me sharing, in Hebrews chapter number 12. Everybody knows Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the faith chapter, and all the people who who believed in God's word and and their weakness was turned into strength because of their belief in God's word. And then he jumps into chapter 12 and verse 1 and says, therefore, so because of all this, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Let's lay aside every weight, sins which cling to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then in verse 2, this is the, this is the pivotal moment in this passage, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So how do I lay aside my besetting sins? How do I lay aside the distractions that keep me from following after God? How do I have endurance to continue even though there is suffering and difficulty in my Christian life? Literally three words, look at Jesus. That is what changes me. That is what strengthens me. That is what transforms me from the beginning all the way to the end of my life until I'm finally glorified and face-to-face and, and -face with my Savior, looking at Christ is always the answer. Not 10 steps to a better this, not six steps to victory over that. It's looking at Christ. You know, the night that Charles Spurgeon came to faith in Christ, he'd actually planned on attending another church service. And because of this huge, massive snowstorm, he actually ended up in a church that he hadn't planned on simply because they were having service. And he walked in that night uh, to hear a deacon who Charles Spurgeon himself said was ignorant of speech. And he was preaching this verse about looking to Jesus. And over and over again, he repeated, looking to Jesus. We look to Jesus. And it was that truth that captivated Charles Spurgeon's heart. Jesus is the center focus of everything. You know, I've heard the gospel limited to his sinless life, his supernatural resurrection, his sacrificial death, and his second coming. But if you think about this, Jesus is the gospel. Yes. Jesus mm -hmm. is the good news. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, Brian, that is that is an incredible statement, you know, with Charles Spurgeon's testimony of that, because Jesus literally is the whole of the gospel. That that's he's the good news. His work, his person, his uh, efficacious salvation for us. Everything about Christ is the gospel. And and this, and I and I want to start out by saying this because I'm I'm itching to say this. So oftentimes, you know, talking about here on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast or other people 
who talk about those who have left the IFB movement. And again, those listening, if this doesn't apply to you, if you came up in a Jesus-centered, independent fundamental Baptist church, praise God, this doesn't apply to you. But I just want to clarify why we as a family, and then obviously we can get back to our story, but I want to clarify why we as a family left that movement behind. Um, you know, so to those who are quick to say, well, you left so you could just be worldly or because you don't like hard preaching and that's why, and you don't like our standards. Not really. And, and I don't have 95 thesis, but I have 10 reasons. First of all, we left because you've added to the scripture where the scripture is silent. Mm. And number two, we left because you don't believe practically in the indwelling power and guidance of the Holy Spirit in the individual believer. So you have to be that for us. Number three, we left because you no longer represent historic Baptist and Protestant orthodoxy. In theory, you are Baptist, but in practice, you are still Catholic. Num number four, we left because you have become theologically lazy. You are well-versed in sound bites and old-timey rhetoric, but there is no content in these empty words. That is why your sermons are full of jokes, funny stories, and personal experiences. You are making noise when you preach, but you say nothing. Number five, we left because you have elevated secondary and tertiary things to be as equal and even more highly emphasized than the gospel of Christ itself. Bible versions, dress standards, and music preferences are zeros on the scale of importance in the Christian life and pursuit of holiness. Number six, we left because you have redefined holiness. Do you know what it is? Holiness is Christ in me, not more standards. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Number seven, we left because Bible Christianity is not synonymous with American Christianity. Stop interpreting scripture as if God wrote it in English to the United States 100 years ago. If a standard or a principle is not applicable through all ages and to all cultures, then it is your preference and not a Bible command. Number eight, we left because the Bible is not your final authority. You say it is, but you twist the scripture to fit your own preconceived opinions and preferences. Hermeneutics, exegesis, expositional preaching. Do these words mean anything to you? No, sadly they don't. Number nine, we left because you do not value unity among believers. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was that his followers would be one. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. But no, you spend most of your time talking down about how other Christians are not as right with God as you are and why they need to change. You mock and criticize them rather than extend a loving hand to help them. You separate from them, too, over these secondary issues, even though you're going to spend eternity with them in heaven. And lastly, number 10, we left because we've seen so many lives damaged by abuse, addiction, greed, and manipulation because the leadership in the church was focused on what the outside of the cup looked like and they didn't have much concern for the inside. Outwardly, you made people conform, but inwardly, they weren't being transformed. Spiritual change always happens from the inside out when it's of God. So saying all that to say this, Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Then Jesus said again, quoting Isaiah in Mark 15, 8 and 9, he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And lastly, Paul said in Galatians 1, 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. While he was killing the church, he was zealous for his traditions. See, we didn't leave for any sort of rebellious reason, but rather we left because Jesus was not preeminent and God's honor and truth was being directly jeopardized by your religion. We won't support that. As a matter of fact, we will fight against it and we will contend for the faith in love. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that, that may be some of the most powerful words ever spoken in the history of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. And I Amen. know that all three of us would humbly admit, Mike, that you just said in those brief moments, uh, things more powerful than we've said and more clearly spoken. Man, listen, that was so good. First of all, I would say that John the Baptist would be proud of your boldness. <laughs> and second of all, it's now 1 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. I just went out in the front yard 
took down the American flag that was left up from Veterans Day and made four laps around my house. That was incredible. I feel like we need a commercial break to take an offering and a lap. I feel like Mike just said in three minutes what we've been trying to say all year long. And what a great way to sum that up. Thank you, Mike, for sharing that. And I know that that statement came from a lot of pain and a lot of experience. Yeah. You know, Mike, when Peter said to Jesus, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus responded, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Uh, The wisdom that you just spoke um, came not only from life experience and the truth of God's word. And I am confident that a lot of people are going to get a lot of help from what you just said. A lot of people are going to identify with that. It's definitely something from the heart and something that we've experienced, yes, but also something that, like you just said, the Spirit of God tethered to the Scriptures, the revealed will of God, has built that up in us. It seems like there's a lot that you have to say, and God has given you a voice to do that. Man, you really should start a podcast. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny that you say that, JC. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to your story. You guys were... Headed to Spain. We were headed to Spain when we had this, you know, crisis, identity crisis, as it were. And and like I mentioned before, you know, we didn't know who to talk to about it because our circle was only limited to a specific group of independent fundamental Baptist churches. And so again, just thinking, okay, maybe it's just a phase. We'll get over it. You know, we'll, we'll repent later on. Who knows? Um, and then we get to Europe and it just gets, the tension grows even more deeply as we try to live as IFB Christians in a European context, you know, so when, when so many of your standards and the way that you see the world is built off of an American context, and you think that that's your Christianity, you get to a different country and all those things are challenged. Hmm. What are you left with? You know, and so we were forced to really peel back everything from our identity that was American or IFB or whatever, and leave only what the scriptures said about us. And and that was hard. So I, I really want Jen to speak into this about how the tension grew for us personally, uh, even with specific personal standards that we had once we arrived in Europe and what we were challenged with from your perspective. Yeah. So I think women have an extra challenge because not only do we have to do all of the mental calisthenics of what does the Bible actually say? But for guys, a whole lot on the exterior doesn't change. For women, it's kind of bold in your face. And I never had a desire to wear pants. And I hate to keep bringing up the pants issue, but I think in the IP movement, that is just so polemic. And I grew up, you know, oh, you guys left church because your wife just wanted to wear pants. And I, I mean, I never even had the desire. I never, I mean, I was very comfortable where I was at. And um, I remember Mike and I talking one day and we were saying that how if all of these things have changed inside, they have to come out and you can't just live in this like, oh, it's just this interior, like we're all good on the interior, but the exterior hasn't changed. And I remember sitting on our bed, we were uh, living in Madrid at the time and I wasn't crying. I was weeping. And I said to Mike, I am scared to death to not read my Bible, but study my Bible for fear of what the Holy Spirit will reveal to me. And then I will be held accountable for that. Because if I am held accountable for that, I'm going to make a whole lot of people mad and I'm going to lose friends and family and 99% of my relationships. And it's actually interesting, before I was getting ready for this podcast, I pulled out some of my prayer journals from back when we first moved to Spain. And no joke, over and over and over, I kept writing to myself, what am I afraid of? And this wasn't in regards to pans or Bible versions or music. It was in regards to just the concept of what if I were to study the Bible for myself? That is all I was talking about at this time. And I kept writing down, I'm going to be a disappointment. I will be rejected. I will lose all of my friends and family. And then underneath that, I put, what is it costing me? It is costing me peace, trust in God, and literally my entire day. So at this point, I wasn't even considering all of the options that we had. I was considering if I should just even study my Bible for myself, because you don't typically do that. So um, that's where I was 
panicked out of my mind. I didn't have a conviction against pants or music or the movies or the versions or, you know, tattoos or any of those things. I actually had a fear of others and what they would say if I did dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Yeah, babe, that, that's a powerful statement, what you just said. And the pants thing is just an example. Look at the bigger picture. I'm afraid to study the word of God for myself because it might put me at odds with the people around me. Mm. And, you know, Jesus made it clear in the book of Matthew, I believe, and, and other parts of the gospels where he said, you know, if you're going to follow me, you will suffer. There will be persecution. There is a cross to carry. But for us at this specific juncture in our faith journey, in our Christian walk, this fear, this tension of, of what the Holy Spirit was speaking to us through the word of God, and then the way we were living on the outside was very different. There was this cognitive dissonance, this, uh, this tension between how I live and how I think. They weren't aligned. And so what that really caused us to do, and this started even back on deputation, and I think this is a really overarching far-reaching way of living for many people in not just the IFB church, but in a lot of religious movements as well. So this, this fear of man so captivated us that we begin to live this double life. And I think this is very, very important to mention, especially in relation to an individual Christian walk, because at the end of the day, I'm still just a Christian. She's still just a Christian. We're all just believers following Christ. But this concept of being double-minded, as, as the book of James calls it, makes you unstable in everything. And, and it causes you to lead this double life. So that way, when you're, you know, when, when I'm just living based upon what everybody can see outwardly, what happens? My heart never gets challenged, never gets changed, never gets called into question. And what happens after that? The sin in my heart begins to grow because it's, it's in the darkness of secrecy. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. It was meant to be lived in community. And so when I'm living in secrecy and I'm living this double life, because I, the only, only thing that matters is the outside of the cup, then secret addictions, temptations, burdens, traumas, fears begin to grow and grip me until one day they erupt in a massive uh, scandal of sin, uh, infidelity or whatever, and, and then I'm in this massive crisis now because I wasn't concerned with heart transformation. I was only concerned about behavior modification. Mm. And you'll see that in uh, uh, Jesus' teaching. You'll see it in, in Paul's letters to the churches. You'll notice that at the beginning of each of his letters to the churches, he reminds the people who they are in Christ Jesus, what their treasure is in Christ Jesus, their inheritance in Christ Jesus. Okay, And then after he reminds them of that in the beginning chapters of those epistles, he then tells them, now put off your bad works, put on good works. He doesn't go into behavior modification at the beginning. He goes into reminding them of who they are so their hearts can be transformed. And then he says, afterwards comes behavior change. But see, yeah. in the system we were in, it was reverse. Or, or not even reverse because the, the heart change wasn't even really focused on. It was just like, be a good person, be a moral person. Morality as defined by our movement, our culture, our country. But your heart transformation, eh, we aren't even going to mention it. So, Mike, you're talking about things that changed on the exterior as far as dress and certain convictions and some of those things. I know another issue that changed for both of you guys was the issue of the King James Version Bible. Can one of you speak to that? Yeah, I'd like to, actually. Um, so... The King James Bible was never even a question for me. That was not even an issue that I actually thought affected me, which is odd because, you know, you're a girl. So what does it matter? You just follow your husband, your pastor. Yeah, women aren't supposed to be theologians. <laughs> Stop talking about theology. <laughs> well, actually, it's funny. I had a conversation with somebody recently and I said, it was a man in an IFB church. And I said, I mean this with no disrespect, but I said, I think that your wife is more loyal to your pastor than she is to you. Dang. Mm. And so, I, and he actually didn't disagree. Um, so I, um, the same person, I actually said, I wonder how many rules or standards that you put in your own family, or is your family completely run by what the pastor says? Mm. And they said, yeah, I don't really know a lot of these topics for myself. 
Um, mm. But in regards to specifically the King James Version, I remember the first time, um, I'm sure you snuck it, but I remember the first time I noticed that you had were reading from a different version on your tablet or whatever, and I was very angry. She was mad. I mean, angry, angry. And I said, that's not the word of God. What are you thinking? How could you possibly be reading that? I don't understand. And if I'm being completely honest, guys, the thing that really got my attention was I started reading the Bible in Spanish, which isn't the King James Bible. Mm. And (laughs) several times there would be words that made so much more sense in Spanish than they did in English. So for example, Mm. the word pastor, the word pastor means shepherd, literally means a shepherd. So when I tell people like out in my community, oh, like my husband's a pastor, they're like, a shepherd? And I'm like, no, he's like... (laughs) He's like a preacher. And um, I actually usually have to say he's a priest. And then I have to explain that backwards afterwards. But, (laughs) and then my mind started thinking, well, why did I have to explain that? Hmm. Because actually the word pastor makes more sense in Spanish than it does in English. And then I started thinking, okay, so when I would give the Romans road during soloning, countless hours every single week, I always said, you know, for the wages of sin is death. Well, we don't use the word wage. Wage is like, you know, a payment. Okay, but why did I say that? Why did you have to explain if 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 it's perfect as it was? Right. And and here's the thing. Like there's nothing wrong with the word wage. I think that's a great word. I love to read. I love great literary classic works of art. But let me tell you guys something. If if you guys were to read the book Don Quixote, which is a Spanish novel, a Spanish classic, you would not understand it in Spanish. So I would have to give you the version that would make sense for you to understand the story. And so often it's like, well, a word for word, and don't get me wrong, guys, it's the Bible and it should be word for word, but there are several things that don't necessarily line up. If I say cool beans in English, we all know what that means. But if I say frío frijoles, that means nothing in Spanish. <laughs> so you have to take what the concept and you have to make it word so that people understand what is the whole point of reading the Bible. So that was one of those things that I've just always known and I never actually studied or thought about for myself. Um, Another thing that was very eye-opening for me is we went on a missions trip to Morocco a few years ago. And when I went to Morocco, I was wearing regular t-shirts, regular dress shirts, and a skirt below my knee. Um, But it was hot. It was summertime. So I had a, what would be considered a shorter skirt. So it was below my knee, but still exposed some of my leg, my lower leg. And one of the Moroccan ladies pulled me aside and she was very gentle and said to me, she's like, you are actually very immodest here. And I said, what do you mean? I don't understand. She's like, well, first of all, you are showing your arm. I said, yeah, but I'm wearing a t-shirt. She said, yeah, but you're showing your arm. She said, if you're married, you need to have your, your whole entire arm down to your wrist covered. And she said, and you are actually a bit of a stumbling block because men are literally staring. Oh, it was bizarre. The, 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 the men, the Moroccan men just couldn't believe that these white women were exposing so much flesh. Like I was watching them and they were like flabbergasted. But my skirts were six inches below my knee. But the fact that you could see skin from that point to the bottom of my foot where my flip-flop came, they were just staring, but like in a very inappropriate manner. And it made me very uncomfortable. I didn't understand why, because I was modest. And According to but that made <laughs> my mind cultural. Think. But it made me think, I said, I don't understand. Hold on. And you have to understand, I was never looking for a reason to read a different version of the Bible or to wear different clothing or to li- listen to different music. But these things started like, these were contradictions. So if I'm in Morocco, I'm completely immodest and causing men to actually sin when the other girl who's standing in across pants. from me is wearing jeans and men aren't even looking at her twice. And all of these contradictions are coming, and I'm just like, "How is this a thing? Is this are we are we supposed to be the 1950s American Christian, or are we supposed to be the Christian like that spans the ages?" And so several of these small inconsistencies, which they actually aren't small, started coming in because I don't live in America anymore; I live in Europe. Um, and then I remember one of my pastor's wives in Madrid when we were in language school. We went to a very fundamental Baptist church in Madrid, and the pastor's wife came to me. And she said, um, hey, we're having a ladies meeting and we're going to go play some sports. And she said, can I ask you a quick question? I said, sure. She said, why are you wearing a dress? My pastor's wife in Madrid. And I said, because uh, I'm a girl, that's what you do. And she said, yeah, but 
but if you slip and fall, the address is going to come up. And how is that okay? Like we're going to take pictures and everything. She was actually concerned for my modesty. And I said to Mike, I don't understand. What have we gotten ourselves into? So it's all of these things that I step out of my circle and realize that this is not what everybody thinks. And this, you know, there are other Christians. What about the missionaries who are on the field that just can't break from the tradition of America? Like, have y'all run into that? Do they just leave the field or do they just have an ineffective ministry? What, what is the yes to all of your, do you know that they have a Spanish Bible that is translated from the King James version? Oh yeah. It's the Gomez 2010 Bible is what it's called. And it's translated from the King's English, from the King James into Spanish. So this concept of KJV onlyers exists in the Spanish world. And back in the day, mm-hmm. we actually were, oh we we were for it. We're we like, were well, if it. it's from the King James, we even that's what we're going to use. That's exactly <laughs> what we did. But isn't the Spanish Bible actually older than the King James Bible? Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a guy, Spanish guy named Cassiodoro, which is, and he was at a seminary just a little bit north of us by about 15, 20 minutes. And he ran around all over Europe running for his life from the Spanish Inquisition. And he finished a Spanish Bible translation in the early 1500s. Yeah, well, a friend of mine who was a missionary in Peru learned that just because something works in America doesn't mean it works uh, on the foreign mission field. Hey, guys, how many of you remember that low-budget movie that they used to show at our churches called The Burning Hill? Oh, you remember yeah. that? And they yep. would set it up weeks in advance. We're going to be showing The Burning Hill. They would show that movie, and it would scare the life out of everybody. Well, a friend of mine who was a missionary in Peru had a copy of the movie, and they went way, way, way back into the mountains to show this movie, The Burning Hill, to the indigenous people. Well, what they didn't know was in that culture, fire is considered a luxury, So they start showing the burning hell, and these people are getting all excited. So the missionary asks, why are they getting so excited? And the the translator said, they want to know how they can go to this wonderful place. (laughs) And my friend said, they didn't know what to do. It it had totally, completely backfired. I said, they should have actually shown uh, a documentary of the Arctic and said the freezing hell, and then they would have all... (laughs) came to faith in Christ. The freezing hell would have done it for me too, Brian. That sounds horrible. (laughs) But do you notice that we revere missionaries from hundreds of years ago who, you know, they dressed like a Chinaman. They had a long braid on their head. Hudson Taylor. They wore a long robe and we're revering him because he was a part of the culture. Mm -hmm. But then because we're in the 21st century, we are reprobates. And we try to contextualize the gospel to the century we live in, but yet you're maligned for it. And in answer to JC's previous question about do missionaries struggle when they refuse to jettison their uh, American worldview, absolutely they do. And they don't last very long. And I'm not saying we're experts or that we're better or anything like that, but unless you're able to totally be willing to let God reinvent you once you get to your foreign place of ministry, you're not going to be effective. You've got to let the gospel, let God totally reinvent you and let that be your defining characteristics. What would you say to the college student or to the person that's listening to this episode right now, sitting in Bible school, they know God has called them to a foreign field, but they're stuck in tradition. Before they get there, what what would you say to that person that's sitting in a dorm room right now listening to this, knowing God has called them to go to Spain or to go to Honduras, but they're so stuck in tradition. They're not sure if it's going to be a change. What would you say to them? Get out. Mm. Mm. Get out now. <laughs> it's not worth your spirituality. Like your personal walk with Jesus is not worth you living in that tension and becoming a double lifer, becoming two-faced, and then letting it destroy you from the inside out. Mm. It's not worth it. So mm. get out now before you go to fulfill that call. Keep that call in your heart, but Find a community of people who are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Wow. That's good. I would like to speak into um, something that happens when you don't do it. So we fought this for a long time. In fact, we had several people tell us that we were liars, snakes, thieves, you name it. And 
we can defend ourselves to our blue in the face, but at the end of the day, people are going to believe what they're going to believe. And for years, like we didn't just come to Spain and make a change like people seem to believe. This was years and years and years of living with this inner turmoil of like, hey, this is what God is revealing to us. This is what the Holy Spirit is showing us, but we can't live this out. We not only can't do the things, we can't say the things. And sometimes we weren't afraid to do things in front of one another because like, what if one day I was on this kick and he was on that kick? And we just, it was so much turmoil. Mm. And Which caused, if you don't mind me interjecting, it caused a lot of marital strife for us as well. Okay. Because we were both being sanctified at different speeds by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, which caused so much friction between us. (laughs) And I can speak strongly from this point of view that I can think of six missionary families right now that I know personally that were on deputation with us that right now are divorced. Some of them aren't even believers anymore. And their kids, I mean, God bless them. I, I hope that somebody steps in and can can help them and the single mothers that are raising those kids because of the exact tension we're talking about. I've got a friend who was here in Spain with me, that guy that I looked up to, and his last prayer letter on the field before he left was, we're leaving because of the tension and the extra biblical expectations that our supporting churches have placed upon us. Jeez. That was his last prayer letter. And I love this guy still today. But this is commonplace with ministry couples. And if you're a ministry couple out there, take heed, okay? This marriage that you're in, these children that you have are way more important than any stinking ministry you're doing in a foreign field. Amen. Mm. Get help for your family now before some massive crisis happens that you can't undo. Mm. Right. I think this, I mean, we went through so much. I mean, we would be fighting nonstop, but we were fighting about nothing to do with each other. We'd be fighting about, well, why are you reading that person's book? Do you know what they believe? Why are you reading that version? Why are you doing like just constant because we were dealing with these outside pressures. And one of the things that we have to deal with as church planters or missionaries, whatever you want to call us, is not only um, we're not just laymen, not only are we not just a pastor and pastor's family, um, which has its own set of complications. I'm not belittling those. But as foreign missionaries, you are supported a good majority by people in the States. So it's not like you've got one boss. You have literally, say, Mm. 80 bosses, which are your supporting churches or organizations, but then you've got about 100 people in each one of them. I remember one week I had one lady say to me, hey, you really should post more fun things to do with your family. You don't only have to do ministry stuff, you know? Less than seven days later, another lady said to me, you know, it'd be nice since we are supporting you if we saw more ministry stuff. (laughs) And I said, are are you, and these are not pastor's wives. These are just random women. Slay people that we befriended over the years. Right. And Mm. you're constantly being pulled because you've got thousands of people and voices in your head. And so what Mike said, I think in the last podcast was that you're feel like a politician and nobody wants to feel that way. And so because this went on for so long, it definitely hurt our marriage. Our children were for sure affected by it. Our church family was affected by it. Our coworkers, we, thank God, I want to put a plug in here, is we have a counselor. And I think that is such a, oh no, not a counselor, not Mm. a Christian psychologist. Like we can't do that because there's nothing wrong with the mind. Just pray harder. No, it's not just go pray harder. (laughs) It's you need to go get some counseling. And this is the thing. We wait till we're like at the pinnacle and we're like, oh no, we're going to you know, we're, we're in the, we're, we're going to get a divorce. We're going to leave the field. And then we go get help. Why are we not getting help now? Why are we not getting counsel now? How many marriages, the couples hate each other, but they stay together because, well, it looks good. Go get help. You can have a beautiful rest of your 25, 30 years of marriage, but you're too embarrassed. You don't talk about anything. We wear this mask. Like everything is totally fine. We're pleasing everybody. And so for us, I will boldly say we have a Christian counselor that we talk to on a regular basis. Our kids have every access to our Christian counselor, can talk to them anytime they want, about anything Mm. they want. We do that constantly. And so here's the thing. We didn't have anybody. We couldn't go to anybody. We wanted to. We tried. And several people said, shh, don't say these things. So here's the problem that happened because of years of turmoil, okay? Guys, this is not a joke. We had an American landline. It was like a Vonage line. It had a very specific ringer. Um, And Every time it went off, I'm just going to be totally real and honest right now. This might gross you guys all out. Every single time that the phone went off, I instantly got sick. I just knew 
something came out, something happened. We were in trouble for something. And at this point, we were not wearing pants, openly doing anything. We were doing nothing that would be considered wrong. And I mean, sick as a dog. Guys, in two and a half years, I had, I'm going to get real, real here. I had 11 UTIs. I don't know if you guys know what that is, urinary tract infection. But I'm not talking about like a little bit. I'm talking about hospitalized every time. That's not normal, by the way. Okay. Yeah. 11. What is the common number for a for woman? For a woman, maybe once, maybe twice in our entire in lifetime. In her lifetime. I had 11 in two and a half years. Guys, I'm 33. Okay. I am not old. And so the doctor said to me, we literally, I had a urologist. I had a kidney. I had every kind of doctor you could imagine because they said, we cannot figure out what's wrong with you. All right. I was having colonoscopies, endoscopies, every test you can imagine. I was in the hospital for days on end. And they would come back to me and say, Jen, I just think you're stressed. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I've had tumors removed. <clears throat> so literally, she had a tumor no removed. Joke. I've had on the outside of every, it grew on the outside. And, and it was everything obviously comes benign. to stress. Yeah. It, they just said this is all stress. This is stress. This is stress. And so you can't live that way. No. You can't live that way. You can't, and I'm living mm. in this double life. And so you, I'm so panicked because I'm going to lose my parents. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my friendships. I'm going to lose my everything. And guess what happened? I did. Mm. Yeah. I did. So what was the straw that broke the camel's back that took you guys from where you were in the IFB to where you are today? I think it was a series of several straws, <laughs> um, but they culminated for us in the spring of uh, 2018, where we officially, I officially called our pastor and resigned from from our um, sending church, sending missions organization and all that. Just saying that, you know, we're on a different trajectory. We appreciate you guys, love you guys, but um, we just, we have to make a move for our own well-being as a family. And also make a move in alignment with conscience that we think is bound to the scripture. We can't we can't be bound to you if we don't think you're following the scripture. So we made that move. And, and again, like I said, it was a series of things. There wasn't one real massive crisis event, but it was a buildup over the course of about five, six years. And so- To put into perspective, we had 80 supporters in June of 2018. And about two weeks later- we had nine. Wow. And, wow. And I think only two actually contacted us to find out our side of the story. Unbelievable. So I was going to ask you, how well was that received? It sounds yeah. like it sounds like it wasn't very well received at all. There was a letter written about us that was full of lies and things that were distorted. Mm. And so we, unless people called or contacted us, we were kind of up a creek. Was that from your former pastor? Yes. So did y'all ever see a copy of that letter? We didn't receive a letter. In fact, one of the pastors who received a snail mail took a screenshot and sent it to us and said, were you guys aware that this got sent out? Mm-hmm. One of the few pastors who was sympathetic with our situation. and so- Which might, I might add, this particular pastor has come to visit us. He is Baptist and they love our family dearly and they still support us because they actually know the truth. That's mm. awesome. So how did you guys survive on the field going from 80 supporters to nine? Um, well, basically it was the ingenuity of my wife because I'll be honest with you guys, I hit a massive crisis of depression in the summer of 2018 after we resigned. And I'm going to be real with you guys. There is no shame in getting counseling and there is no shame in taking medication for issues that your body has. If your arm was broken, you'd go to the doctor so if part mm-hmm. of your brain is broken, you should also go to the doctor. And so I went into a dark space in the summer of 2018, just crashed. Um, I was never suicidal, but just the idea of life just seemed so tasteless and empty. And if it wasn't, and I'm not saying this to sound cheesy, like I mentioned last episode, but if it wasn't for my wife and her walk with Jesus, and ladies, if you're listening, you are important to the work of the ministry. Amen. Amen to that. Yep. You are vitally important to the work of the ministry. You are not irrelevant. You're not meant just to be in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. That is foolishness. Because if it wasn't for my wife's walk with God, if it wasn't for her listening to the voice of the Spirit of God, we wouldn't be here. And honestly, mm. I don't even know if we'd be married. Okay? Because I was in such a bad place in my head 
I was ready to be done. Done. Like, let's just forget this. We can go back to the States. I can get a job somewhere. I, I threw in the towel three or four times that summer oh. because oh. we were attacked so badly on so many fronts. And she came back. We came back here to Spain because of visa issues. And she convinced me. She's like, we need to keep come back to Spain and let God work this out. She started an English academy. Okay. With neighborhood kids teaching English to them. And if it was not for her and for her ingenuity and boldness and faith, um, yeah, we wouldn't be able to be afforded to living here, to be living here and preaching the gospel here. Because if it wasn't for that English academy that my wife started, we couldn't afford to live here. We have some supporters now, which shameless plug for the Peters family. We need your support. Um, secondly, it, but if the English academy closes down, we can't afford to live here and do ministry. And we'd like to move away from that as the Lord opens the door. And we're praying about that very strongly that he would do that. But that's just, I'm just saying that that's what happened. That's how we've been surviving up to this point. And again, I'm not complaining. I don't want to sound as a complaint. God has provided. Jehovah Jireh has been who he is and provided for us. So bring us up to speed right now. God is obviously using you in Spain and there's some pretty exciting developments that God is taking you into a new chapter of your life right there. Well, church is going well. Our, our, first of all, our families, we're healthier than we were in the past, praise God. Um, and church is going well also. Um, Oasis International Church is just over two years old, and we're in the process right now of, of um, uh, having a charter membership, a founding members uh, Sunday coming up at the end of this month, where we all agree to and commit to uh, a statement of faith, a church covenant, and then we put it on paper and just make it official, even though we've been meeting for two years already. So that's, that's super awesome. exciting. Two guys from church here that are about my age, two Spanish guys have just enrolled in online seminary because they feel like God is leading them into a deeper Christian type of ministry. Um, and that's exciting. And, and I'm saying this, God's been doing this in spite of me, in yeah. spite of us, because he's awesome. He's building his church. Whether we like it or not, he's going to get the job done. Um, but then there's also other family news that I think Jen should speak about. So we're really excited. We're actually heading into our 20th month of uh, being in the process of adopting. Yay! Yeah, that's awesome. We're so excited about that. We are bringing home two baby girls from the country of Liberia. We already have three boys, so it's time to up the ante on the girls. And uh, we are so excited about this, guys. Um Adoption's been part of our story forever. Mike is the oldest of seven. Four of his siblings are adopted. Uh, three are severely handicapped, so it's definitely part of who we are. And um, the craziest part is, I think uh, we think with our logical brain so often, it was actually right after we got back home from the States in 2018. It was the beginning of 2019, and I was just praying, to having some time with the Lord, and the Lord very clearly revealed to me, Jen, now is that time. And I was like, Whoa, we have no money. Did you forget? <laughs> and uh, very clearly, I went online, did some research, called up um, the adoption agency that we're with now, and we were able to start that process that week. So like I said, we've been in for 20 months, and we are at the brink of being matched with our girls, which for those of you who may not know what that means, that means that we will be sent the actual images, all the oh, information- wow. Sorry. Yeah, it's it's moving because and she's worked like a dog in this process of chasing down grants from charitable organizations and church ministries to be able to fund this adoption. And she's raised almost forty thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, and, and that's about halfway for us right now. And it's it's been a journey. Um, it hasn't impacted me yet uh, on an on a emotional level because I'm, I'm pretty logical brained and all that. But once I see those photos, I'm yeah. going to lose it. I'll lose it. You know, I'll, I'll be crying like a baby. Adoption is such a visible, tangible expression of the gospel mm. because we've all been adopted in Christ. Through Christ, we've been adopted into God's family, and we are joint heirs with Jesus, brothers in Christ, uh, already seated in heavenly places with him. He looks at us as his children his children in love and affection. He rejoices over us. And we did nothing to attain that. Those children are doing nothing for their adoption right mm. now. But yet this woman has been working to make that be a reality. 
Come on. Sorry, I got caught up there for a second. Um, but yeah, we are super excited and um, we are right at the brink of being matched. Yeah, that's about it. And we're hoping to bring home our baby girls as soon as possible. Yeah, we're praying so. that it, we're praying that we will, we'll have to live in the country of Liberia for, for one, one month. month as a family when we go to get them. Um, and we're praying at the trajectory we're at right now, she's raised about 40 grand. We need about another 40 grand to finish the process. And um, we're praying that God makes that happen by the summer of 2021 so we can spend a month living there and then, you know, deal with all the uh, visa paperwork involved for the children. Bring them home. Yeah. I think, guys, this would be an incredible opportunity for the RFP fam to step up and be part of this process. I know that they're incredible. And this is this is us. This is part of the RFP family. This is this is why we do what we do. And uh, guys, wh- where, where can they give? What's a great place that they can go to to help be part of this process? Well, this is actually a perfect time. Um, we've been doing all these different grants right now. And we just got signed up with LifeSong. LifeSong is a matching grant meaning that um, for every dollar given, they double it for two. So right now, um, that's what we're going through. So yeah, so LifeSong, and it's it goes directly to our Peter's family page. You don't have to sign up for anything. It's very simple. It's like one button and you're done. Do you realize we have a large enough audience now that if everyone would give $5 each, it would make up the rest of the money needed for them to complete this adoption? So adoption mirrors God adopting us into his family and love also mirrors God. We are never more like God than we are when we're loving because the Bible says God is love. What a loving thing to do to help this great missionary family um, adopt these two beautiful girls. And on top of that, I believe we have some very generous listeners that may be able to make a large portion of this happen in case everybody doesn't give $5. So guys, pray about this. This family is faithfully serving and living out the gospel, and we know God's going to provide this. I just want to be a part of this personally, and I know many people listening do as well. So we want you, RFP family, to step up and be part of this incredible journey for the Peters family. You can go to the recoveringfundamentalist.org right now and click on the link that says Peters Adoption and be part of the process to bring home these two incredible little girls to this family. Yeah, and you guys are going to have so many amazing stories to tell. Uh, One of my favorite pastor preachers is a guy by the name of Tony Morita. He pastors Imago Day Church in Raleigh-Durham. And uh, they've actually adopted four children, if I'm not mistaken, two from Romania, and then later they adopted two from Ethiopia. And Tony told this amazing story one night. I was in this service where he was speaking, and he said the two Romanian kids, they didn't love vegetables. And so every night when they would have vegetables for dinner, he would say to the kids, eat your vegetables. There are little children in Africa that would love to have those vegetables. He said, so the first night, The Ethiopian children were finally in their home. They were having dinner. He said they passed the vegetables around and they went by the Romanian children and they passed them on. And then they got to the Ethiopian children and they passed them on. And when they did, the Romanian children said, see, dad, even they don't want those vegetables. (laughs) Oh, my. That's awesome. (laughs) So you guys are going to have a lot of great stories to tell, I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, once they are yours and we're able to show the family picture, please send us one so we can show Absolutely. the whole RFP family. Absolutely. And and everybody can, if you want to connect with us on Facebook, just to stay updated with the adoption process on our end, you can go to Peter's Family Adoption. Uh, and if you're already a friend of ours on Facebook, there's a link there on our Facebook where you can click over to our page and it's just Peter's Family Adoption and, and we'll stay in touch, give you updates and uh, you can see more about how you can get involved. Yeah. That's incredible, exciting news, and we're excited to watch God continue to use this process. I want to go back to something, Mike, that we just talked about a little bit ago that you kind of brushed off, but I think the podcast is going to be a great idea. Tell us a little bit more about what you got going there. Well, um, we've already recorded three episodes Mm -hmm. for basically what is the RFP in Spanish, in Espanol. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And so between myself, um, a guy from our church, two people from our church, actually, Cayetano, and another lady from our church named Vicky, we are doing exactly more or less what you guys are doing in in encouraging believers, uh, challenging 
traditions and calling those who've walked away from the faith to come back and reconsider Christ. So we've recorded three episodes so far, uh, and we are calling it because Recovering Fundamentalist doesn't really translate into Spanish. So we are calling it um, Religiosos Rehabilitados, basically uh, rehabilitated religious people. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah. And you're going to be a part of the RFP family if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we are absolutely, absolutely excited about that. And just been so cool to see how that this is being birthed out of what you guys started less than a year ago. Um, Because legalism is no respecter of cultures, religions, people groups. It's everywhere. So these concepts that you guys have discussed uh, in the RFP uh, for the last year are very relevant. They just need to be contextualized to the Spanish world. And we would love the opportunity to be able to do that. So the RFP fam is growing and you will be hearing more about that in the near future. Absolutely. Let's just say Recovering Religious People podcast is just one of many to come. Ah, nice. Spoiler alert. Can't wait. It's going to be exciting. In fact, next week, I believe we are introducing maybe somebody that's part of a second RFP family of podcasts. We got Clay Maynard coming on the podcast with us next week, and I'm real excited about that. So we're excited about this episode and just all that God is doing there with you, Mike and Jen in Spain. And uh, we are excited to continue from this side of the pond, watching God continue to use you and uh, being part of that ministry in whatever way that we can. And we're so excited about it. It's 2.01 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> I've had to call Brian twice and wake him up, but everything is going. <laughs> hey, I've got to be honest. I've never been so excited to hear you say, thank you for joining us for this episode of the RFP. <laughs> That's it right there. Let's thank our sponsors and then we'll go to bed. We want to thank Free Life Soap for being just an incredible sponsor of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org, click on the link, Free Life Soap, use the promo code RFP, get 20% off of your order. Thanks, J Radio and our patrons of Patreon. Mike and Jen, thank you guys so much. This has been two weeks of incredible content hearing your story i'm so ready to come back to spain and contrary to popular opinion i have not been to sevilla i've been to malaga they actually drove two hours to come meet me there and i'm looking forward to being in sevilla one day soon well the only reason they drove two hours is because you're worth it also (laughs) make sure that you go to the recoveringfundamentalist.org and sign up to be a part of the Idea Network, their conference, and our RFP meetup there and the two live episodes that we're going to be recording. Hey, this is big stuff, guys. God is at work. And I told you last week that tickets are cheap to fly to Vegas. I found round-trip tickets from Atlanta to Vegas for $74. What? Round-trip tickets for $74 from Atlanta to Vegas. Check your cities. Look at Skip Lagged. If you don't know what that is, it's a website and it is an app and you can find some incredible deals on there. Brian, are you going to drive down to Chattanooga and we're all going to fly together? So let me get this straight. You want me to drive nine hours just so I can be on a plane with you guys to fly to (laughs) Vegas. Listen, JC, here's what you don't understand. The fact that I'm going to be in Vegas and that I'm getting on an airplane is a huge deal because I hate to fly. I've turned down three free trips to the Holy Land. I've turned down trips to Australia, to all kinds of places, because I only fly when I have to. So when we fly, I'm so bad that my wife books her seat on another part of the plane because she won't even sit beside of me. I hate it that bad. Well, speaking of our wives, they're going with us. So I'm excited. It's not just Brian, Nathan, and JC, but we got the ladies going with us to Vegas. It's going to be fun, boys. We're going to have some fun in Vegas. I can't wait. Cannot wait. Vegas is going to be fun. It's not going to know what hit it when the RFP family shows up. Go to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Find all the stuff you need. Load up on the merch. So when we have the meetup, we got a bunch of Recovering Fundamentalist merch running around Vegas. Are we going to give Wayne Newton our autograph if he asks? Is Wayne Newton alive still? I don't know. He has a Bible. Celine Dion. Let's go with that. The Canadian Queen of Pop. 
Wayne Newton had so many plastic surgeries, he's made out of plastic, so he bound to still be around. That is true. Hey, let's get out of this. It's been a great week. I'm going to bed. I love you guys. Love you too. Mike, Jen, y'all have a good day in Spain. Thanks, guys. You too. Y'all have a great week. Be sweet. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.